0: fellow Franco fans, the Desire host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, and uh, today you are interested into listening to episode 74, film number 9 of Mr. Jess Franco's career, and this film we are talking about today is known as El Lanero, also known as The Plainsman, and uh, we're going to get right into it, so... The country of origin on this is Spain and France, uh, made in 1963. The alternative titles are Les Jaguar, the French theatrical, uh, The Jaguar, which is the copy I watched. And also uh, the Italian theatrical title is uh, Challenge of the Wild, uh, Safida Selvagia. Uh, production companies on this one is uh, Sociedad Anomia Big Four out of Madrid. And the mighty Eurocene out of Paris. Uh, theatrical distributors, um, Hispamex Films, S.A. out of Madrid, and Sopadias. Um, and it uh, looks like a selection of George Eason and e- Erosinia from Paris. Okay, so yeah. So, Sopadis, that's a different one. Alright, timeline on this. Shooting date is late September to October of 1963. And uh, Seville premiere on this, uh, premiered in May 16th of 64, about seven months or so later. Uh, then played France on October 21st of 1964. Then played Turin, Italy, on December 30th of 1965. And uh, French visa issued April 4th of 67, and Madrid and Barcelona, it says, no release. Uh, theatrical running time, 90 minutes out of Spain and 97 minutes out of France. Um, go over a few of the names here. I'll mention them later on uh, in the review portion. But we have uh, Jose Suarez as the Jaguar, Jose Mendoza. Uh, Silvia Sorrente as Lolita, one of the stars of the film, definitely. You'll see why as you watch. Uh, Georges Roland returns in his second film for Franco as Colonel DiFernando Saltierra. Uh, Roberto Carmideau plays Juano. Manuel Zarzo plays Carlos. Todd Martin as uh, Lieutenant Cobben, who's a big heel in the film. Uh, Roberto Font plays Father Francisco. A good part. Uh, Marta Reeves plays Inez Saltierra. Felix de Foss plays Colonel Mendoza. Maria Vico plays Marina, Salterra's housekeeper, who's another uh, heel as well, but she acts like a baby face, but she's heel. Uh, Zande Bolas plays Salterra, officer in a straw hat. Benny Deuce plays officer on horseback. And then we have uh, one of my favorites, uh, Mike Brendel returns um, from uh, Death Whistles the Blues. And he returns uh, in this film as Carlo, with a hangman. And uh, who else do we have of note here? Looks good. Okay. Uh, credits: Dialogue, d- director Jess Franco, story David Kuhn, which of course is Jess Franco. Screenplay and dialogue: Nicole, David, and Jess Franco. It's funny. The copy I watched had his name as uh, Jess Frank, the French version. Here it's Jess Franco. Uh, director of Photography, Emilio Forces. Editor, Angel Serrano. Uh, music, Daniel J. White. And, um, looks like, uh, who else we got on this? Uh, French co-producer, uncredited, Marius Lassure. All right, synopsis. Um, actually, we go over that in the uh, next port. Okay. All right, production notes. Um, of course, this is taken from Murderous Passions. The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1, by Stephen Thrower. Hopefully, uh, if you've listened to the last 73 episodes by now, you've went out and bought yourself a copy of Volume 1 or Volume 2. These are definitely the Bibles of Jess Franco fans and films. So, anything you want to know or get, these books are the definitely building blocks. So, it's not an endorsement, because I'm not paid, but it's the truth. So... And it is an endorsement, so but unpaid. All right, here we go. Uh, production notes. Shooting for five weeks uh, from late September 1963, El Enero was Franco's only contribution to the Western genre. It first appeared in Seville's cinema listings on May 16th of 1964 with a press review published the day after. As Le Jaguar, it was briefly distributed in France where it opened on October 1964. Okay, I'm going to take uh, just a few paragraphs from Julian Grandier's review, and then mostly going to go to uh, Stephen Thrower. So, uh, Julian Grandier writes um, The early to mid 60s, I'm sorry, the early and mid 60s might well be termed Franco's director in search of a career phase, with a perfect melodrama, a youth, I'm sorry, <clears throat> with a period melodrama, a youth comedy, an action adventure, couple of crime films, and a brace of horror items under his belt, He attempted an attempt at an outdoor adventure film might have seemed like the next genre to try out. With the Zorro titles popular in both European and South American cinemas, and The Lone Ranger scoring on television, it was perhaps inevitable that enterprising film producers would latch onto similar characters. Mexico had its vaqueros and charros. Argentina and Brazil, their gachos. The Peruvians, their penejos and urochuchos. and Venezuela and Colombia had El Lentero, the plainsman, the name derived from the Llanos grasslands. The screenplay for El Llanero, credited to both Franco and his then-wife, Nicole, is explicitly political. The Federal War, or Guerra, Federal was a bloody civil war, Venezuela's first since independence in 1821. Between the land-owning, politically dominant conservative party and the liberal party who were looking for greener anatomy from the provinces, Colonel Saltiera's character belongs to the former grouping a war criminal who slaughtered Mendoza and his clan for its wealth, and turned this into political power by becoming the region's deeply corrupt governor. Mendoza's son, José, now an adult, has become Elenero, or Le Jaguar, depending on whether you're Spanish or French, who intends both to bring down Salterra and his cronies, as well as to redistribute his ill-gotten gains among the poor and needy. The finale sees Mendoza give away his lands to the poor before leaving with his surviving compatriots, presumably to right more wrongs. Another of the film's major concerns is the idea of family. The early scenes feature Mendoza and his family uh, um, before the arrival of Saltier and his men are portrayed as idyllic and safe as personified by Cali-Spanish actor Romoto Carbiel as Jose's nanny. Comierta does indeed go on to save the infant Jose from certain death, in purely narrative terms, Jose hopes to find a family to replace the ruin of his own, but has the misfortune to fall from his arch-enemy's daughter, the pretty but prim Inez. She, of course, must die, and it's noticeable that Jose will finally leave with sexy saloon singer Juanita. Or actually, Lolita, on the other version I've seen. Um... The casting of Jose Suarez as the title character is no coincidence either. At the time, and for many years, Suarez was the president of Spain's left-leading actors union held within the Sindicato del Espectaculo. De While well, shooting began in late September 1963, leading man Suarez, a more mature, hyper-masculine actor, actor had recently celebrated his 44th birthday. Uh, let's see, okay. Um, There has been some debate as to whether Eliano can properly be called a Western. In the broadest possible terms, Westerns are concerned principally with concepts such as honor and vengeance, and often figure a single character seeking justice for himself. In contrast, characters such as Zorro and the Lone Ranger are more concerned with social justices and aim to bring down the corrupt, wealthy, and powerful the wearing of a mask could be viewed as sinister in contrast to a short-haired, clean-faced, all-American cowboy. But thanks, perhaps, to the tremendous influence of Superman, the decidedly skimpy masks worn by Zorro and the Ranger are used to protect their identity and provide for the safety of their loved ones rather than feature as concealment for any nefarious deeds they may carry out. All right, and Stephen Thrower says... Arguably, the dullest Jess Franco film of the 1960s, this disappointing quasi-Western with echoes of the Zorro story is a run-of-the-mill autor that fails to quicken the pulse. Franco was never to return to the genre, perhaps because, as his career developed, he grew less and less interested in male characters. The chief concern of the Western. Certainly, uh, despite its occasionally handsome photography, El Lanero, resides in one of the most obscure and unloved corners of the Franco filmography, lacking both the sexual charge and the macabre frision of his major work. Set in Venezuela, but filmed in southern Spain, it concerns an outlaw who fights corrupt and violent government forces and steals for the poor while tracking down those who murdered his parents. Doggedly old-fashioned, but lacking the heroic ballast needed to make the cliches work, it's ultimately neither fish nor fowl. It has neither the naive conviction of a conventional adventure story, nor the irony and excess of the soon-to-be-minted spaghetti western. All right, um, it was also made the uh, same year as uh, Fistful of Dollars. It's actually '64. Came a year after this. Having already hopped from comedy to musical to horror to thriller, Franco, rather like Quentin like Quentin Tarantino in years to come, was evidently keen to try his hand at every genre, but he shows zero aptitude for westerns. In fact, one could further could go further and say that he doesn't really get heroic fission, f- fiction at all. <clears throat> he has no real investment in heroes, heroines and anti-heroes, yes, and anti-heroines most certainly. El Elanero, however, concerns a four-square heroic archetype, the outlaw bandit with the right on his side. Uh, the script is devoid of irony, and thus Franco seems disengaged. Consider, for example, the way in which the hero is introduced. We meet him 20 minutes into the film, if "meet" is the right word. Franco observes him via a prolonged medium shot that refuses to mosey on down and look at the great man in the face there are no hero close-ups and no thrilling action set pieces to introduce him apart from the prologue in which he's just a small child the first we see of him he's just a nondescript cowboy sitting around a campfire and before you reach for your avant-garde theorizing to defend franco's directorial choice sorry i'm not buying this is no deconstruction of the heroic archetype it's simply the result of flat and uninteresting direction the hero's girlfriend, Lolita, played by Silvia Sorrenti, is far more to the director's taste. To begin with, we see her execute a daring burglary, stealing government papers and revealing that a stagecoach carrying a large sum of money is due to pass by. Scaling a 20-foot wall and dodging guards like a Venezuela in appeal, she rivets Franco's camera. The nominal masculine hero comes a very distant second, like a tired old donkey struggling to keep up with a thoroughbred mare. Sally Lolita plays only a secondary role, so the rest of Elinero barely breaks into a canter. A few attempts at wry humor feel half-hearted. The torture scene peters out with an area flesh wound. And when the only respite comes from tedium, comes in the form of a few South American folk songs, you know you're in trouble. As the eponymous writer of wrongs, Jose Suarez is a dud and a villain of the piece. George Rolin makes even less of a mark than he did in Death Whistles of Blues. Uh, Sorrente's cat like features and edgy Barbara Steele demeanor are probably all you'll remember afterwards. That's funny, I was thinking the same thing. She looks like Barbara Steele. I thought she looked like a mix between Barbara Steele and um, uh, nowadays um, the Gallatin from Dust Till Dawn. Um, yeah, and it looks like her. Um, Let's see. Uh, except for her, *Elonero* was a rare thing—a Franco film that deserves its persistent low profile. Uh, let's see, cast and crew. Despite her obviously talent, despite her obvious talents, Sylvia Sarente had a surprisingly short career in film. Her most notable roles were in a mildly salacious early film by erotic pioneer Jose Benavides called *Le Enite*. Pua Noas, 1963. Antonio Magaretti's ravishing, lovely Gothic chiller Castle of Blood, 1964. And George Lautner's colorful and energetic crime parody Ninus Fachumas Paz, 1967. Uh, Jose Suarez was a familiar face to Spanish cinemagoers, having played Spain's for Zorro in La Mota Le 1953. He also worked with uh, Juan Bardem, 1956, and after Elenero went to appear in westerns for Fernando Baldi, Texas Adidio, Forgotten Pistolero, and Tonio Valeri, A Reason to Live, A Reason to Die, 1972. Music. Uh, Daniel White's score broods magnificently over the opening credits, but it would better suit a gothic horror tale. The Latin American music in the film is provided by those bearded roustabouts Los Machacombos, Stars of many a face, four easy listening and exotica LP in the nineteen sixties and seventies. Location: the Sierra de Madrid. I'm sorry, the Sierra de Madrid mountain range in Spain, southern Spain, somewhere between Almeria and Hain. J A E N Studios, uh, Golden City Studios, out of Hoya de Manzanares, Madrid, Spain. Connection. Uh, the script for Eleonero is credited to Franco and Nicole David, a.k.a. Nicole Gutiérrez, Franco's first wife. Producer Julian Esteban, under the med- majordomo of J.E. Films, would work with Franco again in the 1980s, early 1980s, producing the better of his two cannibal films, Devil Hunter, The Mesmeric Study of Lust and Betrayal, um... A Sexuales de Una Meja Casada, and his hallucinatory erotic drama, Eugenie, a History of Her Perversion. Problematica. Uh, some sources credit Jess Franco with an appearance, but he's invisible in any available French or Italian prints. This, and the presence of the Spanish credits of two actors, uh, Rafael Hernandez and José Risco, who do not appear in any... Extent version it suggests a longer version has yet to be discovered, uh, and it looks like it looked like very positive press coverage of it. it Says they liked it, and then it had uh, strong photography and uh, editing. It was outstanding. So, all right, so that's their version of that. A uh, little spoiler: I watched this already. I did the review before I did the intro, and uh, it's not bad. If you're a Western fan, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, if you're not a Western fan, I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it. But um, hang on through the uh, bumper music, and I will go into more detail of things I liked, and go over the Franco list of things that I spotted that uh, keeping track of in the Franco history and the filmography. So, all righty, well, uh, you know what to do. Hang on through the break, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Buenas noches. Hey, buddies, this is Jason coming at you once again on the review portion for El Lanero, The Plainsman. Uh, The copy I got was um, from um, Trash Palace. It's a website here. It originates out of the east coast of the United States, uh, New York, New Jersey area, I believe, or Maryland or somewhere around there. But yeah, uh, TrashPalace.com, dot com, and uh, there is the, the uh, French language with English subtitles, black and white copy. Um, it was good, good, good print uh D V D R of that. Um, so yeah, if you uh, want to watch it, that's one way to check it out. It may or may not be on uh, YouTube, but uh, yeah, if you look up the year uh, nineteen sixty three and look up the Jaguar or l laero uh it's double L A-N-E-R O uh might find it there, so but yeah, uh I just watched it um and uh let's say that uh you know it was better than I thought, so um but yeah, it was a typical western um I'm a big fan of good westerns um once I sit down and watch it, I get into them uh, big fan of Peck and paw a lot. Growing up uh, as a kid, I liked a lot of uh, Clint Eastwood Westerns and the uh, Italian uh, spaghetti Westerns as a teenager and in my 20s and that. So uh, like I said, yeah, of course, Peckinpah and, and all the other ones got into a big mark of the 70s Westerns, 60s Westerns, and uh, even back to John Ford and all those. So um, so yeah, this was a that tradition. It was good. Uh, and uh, so I'll go into all that later on. But uh, yeah, I'll give you a little synopsis of this, and then uh, give you my review of it. Um, let's see. This is taken, of course, from Murderous Passions by Stephen Thrower. Uh, this is uh, volume one of the delirious cinema of Jesus Franco. All right. Uh, synopsis. Venezuela, 1863. Um, let's see here. All right. All right. As the civil war rages, Colonel Soteria attacks the villa of wealthy landlord Mendoza and kills everyone. Only Mendoza's little son, Jose, survives, saved by a servant named Wanto. Years later, Soteria has become the region's governor, while Jose... Nicknamed Jaguar has become a bandit. He fights against the Urspurs with a group of followers, including Wanto, from a secret hideout. Receiving information from his girlfriend Lolita, a tavern singer, the Jaguar and his men assault a military cargo of gold coins which he distributes to the poor. Carlos, one of the Jaguar's men, is arrested when sotierra's right-hand man, Calman, finds him in possession of stolen coins. He's beaten and tortured, but the Jaguar and Wando help him escape and hide him in Father Francisco's church. Calman and his men... Uh, Calman and his men break into the church and arrest Carlos and Francisco, who are sentenced to death. However, the Jaguar saves them on the gallows. The Jaguar is in love with the governor's daughter, Ines, who has been promised by her father to Calman. When Jose hears about this, about Inez's wedding, he goes mad. Wanto leaves for Jaguar's camp to meet Innes, but returns mortally wounded. Before dying, Wanto tells his godson the truth about his family. Innes sends the Jaguar message, inviting him to flee with her, but Kalman intercepts it and sets up a trap. The Jaguar is rescued by his men and a battle ensues, during which Innes is mortally wounded. Satiera is shot by Carlos and after a fiery duel, Jose kills Kalman. The Jaguar gives his land to the poor and leaves, accompanied by his companions and the faithful Lolita. Uh that's basically the synopsis for the Plainsman. the Plainsman. Um by this point this is film nine of Jess Franco and he kinda did this like kind of mainstream uh you know, Western-type film. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm glad that he didn't go off in this direction because his filmography would probably be a lot shorter if he stayed on this path. So um, it's good to see that he uh, did other stuff uh, and became the person that we like. So, um, all right, so let me go over some things that I liked about this um, because I kind of gave you the the synopsis of that. Actually, let me go over things I liked during during that part of the synopsis um, yeah it's cool how it starts off um, with um, the family getting killed and uh, the servant like the father telling the servant hey you know if something happens to me take care of my family and they sort of they kill the guy and they're like storming the place and they hang the the, the um, uh, people that help out the family like the assistants and the servants and they're like hanging them and shooting them and killing them and it's pretty violent you're like holy shit this starts off like Pretty, pretty, pretty rip roaring because they're like these soldiers. They're coming in and being real nice to the bars made and figure out where this family is, you know, the Mendozas. And then she says, Oh, yeah, they're up there. They're really, really fancy. They go up there, like it says, and fucking kill the play- people and take over the place. And then they're elected in. And then the, uh, and like the last film, uh, Rafifi, like with the evil senator coming in, it's like, uh, the real, like, um, uh, military type of, you know, um, outlaws come into town and take over and then uh this guy the jaguar of course is a little kid and and then uh as he's raised his the guy tells me i found you in a sack by the river and you were just a abandoned baby and i raised you he didn't tell doesn't tell him anything about his mother and father being killed and stuff so and his rightful um name and and what he has coming to him the mansion and the land and all that thing so um but uh because that would change his way of, of thinking and his uh, belief structure behind what he does as a bandit and his Robin Hood or Zorro mentality. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's like a modern Zorro or, um, um, Robin Hood type film, the type of bandit, the bandito, you know, but that has the, uh, moral and religious conviction. Um, okay. So with this, um, that I liked a lot, um, and uh, the guy that plays the heel in this, uh, it's cool. Um, you have uh, Georges Roland uh, returning for a second film as uh, Colonel de Fernando Sautier, and he has a really cool look. He's uh, the older guy with white hair and uh, kind of looks like Alexander Hamilton, the president, or, or uh, has a really good look, really good French actor. Uh, second time here is the bad guy. Um, he's not much of a heel as his assistant, who kind of looks like Ken Howard a little bit and uh he's the one that's like beats up everybody and kills people and c- carries out the crypt thing. And if you think about it, I mean he's a evil landowner, but like he's just get revenge for the guys robbing him and stealing all his gold. So of course he'd be pissed off if like all your gold was stolen by this guy and given away, you know, you'd be mad too. So and in the end he shoots his daughter, but then he shoots uh gets shot in the back by one of uh the jaguars men because he killed the old man, shot him in the back. So in the end they're all going to let him pass, but get shot in the back right at the end. So it's a cool. Uh, there's a lot of cool moral little snags in this film, like you don't get away with everything, and, and right in the end, that's how it is. So, but uh, yeah, it's very very nice. That's just, that's good good parts in it. Um, um, one thing. Uh oh yeah. So, um, the guy that plays uh um, Juano, Roberto. Carta meow. I liked him a lot. He looked like Oliver Reed to me. Kind of a big husky dude with beard and uh, real jovial and strong and, and uh, definitely reminded me of like Oliver Reed with that. The um, guy that played the Jaguar, uh, Jose Suarez, was, was pretty good. Um, kind of looked like a George Reeves kind of a guy. Just kind of ho-hum. I mean, he was good. He was tough and solid and stuff, but uh, as the face of the film, the good guy, he was... He was okay. I mean, I don't think he was as strong of a presence as as uh, the heels were. Um, now, on the other hand, Sylvia Sorrente, that played Lolita, is was amazing. She's a beautiful woman, very like big bust and uh, beautiful face, and talented and, and good shape. And there's certain scenes, and she's like tough. She's like the real loyal servant girlfriend. That will do anything for you, and like he loves another woman, and, and just and she's just so much better than this other woman. It's so funny because she'll do everything. She like sneaks over and like uh, uh, throws this uh, catapult up the so almost foreshadowing uh, Lena Romay. She like throws this catapult up the wall and climbs it barefoot and like sneaks into this like prison area to like get these people out and get the other things, and it's really amazing. You're like, wow, she's like a tough bitch, man and uh and then he goes for the like real blonde girl that's he sees swimming in the in the uh pond cuz she's trying to attract him it's, um Inez, but that's kind of stupid I don't know but uh but yeah of course that's a movie you know cuz there's parts where he could have killed the guy and he wants to fight him and shit so just just kill the fucker uh so we have um uh, of course, so I said George Roland was great in this. Uh, Roberto Camaldi as Juan, no, I said already. Uh, Manuel Zarzo as Carlos, El Capitan. Todd Martin uh, as Lieutenant Coleman. Roberto Font as Father Francisco was good. Uh, Marta Reeves, Felix DeFonts, Colonel Mendez. Um, one name that I wanted to bring up that I popped, I was like, oh shit, he's in it, and he's only in it for like a, just about two minutes was, um, a good character actor with a great face, uh, Mike Brendel, B-R-E-N-D-E-L, uh, this is a second film, he's also, uh, previously, he's in Death Whistles the Blues, he's the big arm wrestler guy, and, uh, you see him arm wrestling the guy at the beginning with a great face, um, and, uh, he, uh, plays guitar, and he's almost like a big Hercules guy, and, uh, he looks like, uh, I think it was like Angel Salazar, I said, but later on in, uh. Like the erotic rites of Frankenstein and uh the Jess Franco films, the Mabuse and all those. He has that really great face and that and uh but yeah, this is like Mike Mike Brindle. He is uh he plays the um hangman in this film. They're about to execute the priest and uh the other guy and uh he calls him uh he goes, Oh, you're Carlos He goes, No, I am Carlos and he goes, No and he called the wrong name. But uh yeah, he's uh in this uh Mike Brindle, Carlo, the hangman. But uh, yeah, so he's only in it, just that little part. But it was cool to see him again. And I think I was going further uh, up the scale in films, and I think this is the last film he does for him. So yeah, so he only does the two films, um, Death Whistles, The Blues, and uh, The So, But anyway, yeah, it's cool to see him in this. Um, So let's see. uh, Let me think anything else before we go over the list of... Um, the Franco list to see what I caught that is a daily or uh, staple in the Franco universe. Um, uh, let's see what else do we have. Yeah, Lita climbs a wall. I didn't mention that. Uh, her on horse. Okay, let's see. Mike Brindle. Um, things I liked about this film, they had, they had really great traveling shots on horseback. There's scenes when uh, a single guy on a horse is chasing another guy or chasing another a uh, horseback rider or, or, uh, f- um, I don't know if it's army or fleets or what's the correct term, but, uh, groups of people on horseback going across and it's, uh, believe in a car on a plane that you're driving probably about 35 to maybe 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour going real fast and follow them on on the camera and they're jamming and you can tell they're going really fast as they're tracking them. And, it's pretty exciting work. It's really, really impressive for Jess Franco to see, uh, those traveling shots like that on horseback. Really good, really great locations in this film. There's a lot of good tension shots. He captures that a lot. in this. a lot of sneaking around. You wait for people to get caught and sneaking it out of places and, and, uh, setting up things. Um, not as many musical numbers. There's a few, uh, some singing with back and forth kind of, uh, with guitars and in a club and that, but, uh, not as much or like a tavern you know um and uh the saber duel at the end was really good really physical fight with uh, in the water between the jaguar and uh the assistant um uh whatever his name is guy that was under george roland um but uh yeah so um oh yeah also too in this uh Jess Franco, of course, in the beginning of the credits, billed as Jess Frank, and uh, based on the work of David Kuhn, K-H-U-N-E, which is, of course, one of his aliases, or pseudonyms, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that on that. All right, I'm going to go ahead and hit the list now and uh, tell you what I saw, what I saw with my own two eyes, or four eyes with my glasses on. Uh, let's see. All right, so... Number one, Body of Water. Yes, there are a few. Uh, you see Glimpse 1 early when uh, Lily is on horseback going through. And, um, and then you see, uh, let's see, a couple of uh, in the movie. Of course, when uh, Inez goes skinny dipping. And there's, you see Body of Water there. A body in the water, too. It's really like the only nudity in the film, but it's not even really nudity. So I don't count it. So is another new nudity film. Um, so, yeah. Uh, number two, sailboat or boats? No boats in this film. Uh, I don't think there was any portraits of boats. I didn't catch that. <clears throat> but yeah, definitely no boats in the water because they're basically a lot of... Uh, there's bodies of water in this, but they're all very dried out or very shallow or or areas where there's not many access for boats to go into. Uh, Four palm trees. Yes, definitely there's palm trees by the churches and palm trees by the rich guy's house, I believe. But yeah, definitely by the church. Uh, five, jungle sound effects. No. Six, chained up person. No, this person, there's people hung with uh, ropes and that. Uh, and uh, there's also a scene of people getting ready to be executed. Um, but yeah, definitely no um, hanging of chaining chaining people up. So uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. No, we had uh, Lolita that was um, dancing with a crowd, watches her uh, with the guitar. She was dancing in the tavern. Um, So that would be the dance scene on stage. No stripping, but she definitely showed ample cleavage and uh, was so amazingly beautiful. Yeah, so definitely beautiful. Uh, Eight, club scenes dancing. Uh, Didn't catch any club scenes with dancing. There's people playing music and, uh, like I said, in the tavern and people playing music by campfires outside, but no real club scenes. I guess that would be be a makeshift club scene people hanging out outside together but not really uh nine jazz music no not really on this film it's more like orchestral scores and um uh like campfire music traditional uh folk music i guess it would be uh, an old west type music um let's see what else we have uh number nine or no it's number nine already number 10 excessive zooms or 11 out of focus shots no uh once again with these early films, he's really controlled and uh, work with bigger, bigger uh, crews and I guess maybe budgets. I'm not sure on that part, but uh, definitely a lot of professional union and this and that and stuff. So you could tell uh, his stuff's more narrowed down in that. But uh, like I said, a lot of good traveling shots on this tracking shots uh, might have been a few crane shots. Now I think about it, and yeah, qu- quite a bit on this, pretty good, very professional. Uh, number 14 magic tongue scenes nothing like that in this film um yeah very very uh yeah the lena and the other gal but uh nothing, pretty a pretty asexual actually uh number 15 red light no nope, black and white movies so but didn't see any way of a red light being in it Um, 16, sheepskin rug or masturbation scene with C item. No, nothing to those 17 mad scientist. Not this film, but we will see some coming up in the next few films. Uh, 18 fish tank shot. No fish tank shot in this film. Had one in previous, but not this 19, no talking parrots, uh, in credits, yes or no. Yes. We had a fin F I N at the end. Uh, no credits of names, but just Finn. And then that was the end of that. Uh twenty-one, handwritten notes. Yes, I had caught what did I catch. Oh yeah. Right at the beginning you see the roadside sign pointing to the town, and you have handwritten signs for the cantina. So um and the bar scene, so a lot of hand 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 painted signs. Or handwritten hand painted notes on that one. Uh twenty-two spiral staircase shots. No, nothing of that. Uh, 23 inept cops Um, not really there's actually no cops at all in this film because there's the bandits and then there's like the guy that's uh, the wealthy like uh, evil kind of landowner guy and then you have uh that's about it really I think I think about it and then his army really I don't think there's even like a government really or uh, police or yeah, anything like that now it's in here kind of Dwelling it down, it's like the old West, you know. Uh 24 belly chains, yeah, no belly chains in this film. And 25 kink list. no kink list to speak of. So uh but yeah, no, there's there's some nice stuff in this. Um like I said, good locations, nice acting. Uh it's a good western, you know. It's like a let's see what year is this, 63. Yeah, it reminds me of like a late fifties, early sixties western, which is what it is, puts it in line right there. And, of course, being a uh, Spain and French uh, uh, production, you know, with that. So, fits it in right there. Pretty spaghetti western. More like an old Hollywood or a um, Spanish film type western, you know, that were um, popular in those days. So, yeah. It's, it's um, interesting. It's interesting to watch uh, in the filmography of Jess Franco. You see a few things that are, you know, uh, as I went through the list and described a few of the scenes with, like, Lolita... And the tavern scenes and her climbing the wall and um, a few of the themes that run through um, with that. You see a few of those sparkling. So it's a it's a worthy hour and a half to watch. It's it's definitely not bad. Um, it's not a total time waster. So I, I would mm-hmm. recommend it. It's uh, not not bad. So uh, but yeah, that's part of the notes on it. What you thought on it? Not bad. But yeah, it's 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 not as good as uh, Rafifi in the City or Death Whistles the Blues, um, but uh, it's a step up from We Are Eighteen. I'd say it's uh, you know it's, it's it's this and that you know um, what else? What do I say? I say yeah, definitely better than Vampresses and uh, so anyway, um, getting the filmographies down. So that was film nine. Looking forward to the next few ahead. Uh, If you want to get a hold of us or send us any email, you can please do that at uh, FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. There's a a donation button on the front if you want to sponsor it or uh, donate anything one time, multiple time, whatever. There's always the option there. Feel free to do that. Uh, Also, feel free to download the episodes and uh, please subscribe. Uh, The more subscriptions we have, the more downloads are always better and it increases the numbers. Uh, Please rate on it. Give us any stars or reviews or comments. It's always appreciated on any of your favorite platforms, whatever the ones you can rate on those. Uh, I do recommend it and I do appreciate it. Um, Also, to tell a friend, share this on any uh, social platforms you like. Uh, Tell people if you want to introduce them to Jess Franco, if they want to learn about it. And uh, right now, like I said, this is uh, episode 74, so we already have 74 films, which is more than 74 hours. I'd say we're probably about 90 hours at least, maybe 100 hours by this time, of content that's free that you can learn about Just Franco films and kind of see which ones you might want to watch and discover and uh, look up and all that stuff. So always check that out. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have Franco Observer podcast pages on those, and of course, we love to bring the uh memory of Jess Franco bringing the names and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears and I hope i'm doing that every week uh, it's my one of my little missions in life that I like to keep doing and um, it's a good discipline to have um, we go through life, we fall in and out of disciplines. I know I do, uh, as I reach my ages, um, things I did in my twenties and thirties and now in my forties, you see come and go. But, uh, if you can always try to keep a few disciplines besides the necessary thing of like work and diet and exercise and, uh, things that, uh, you know, other things like social things and, uh, hobbies and, uh, things you love and stuff. I don't know. Those keep you going and stuff. So. That's one of the reasons why I do this because it's always cool to like have a little special time to uh, dedicate to Jess Franco and what he did. And uh, that sometimes spurs the creativity and the coolness in us. So hopefully that does that to me and <clears throat> that does that to you. So, all right. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, Buenas Noches. Buenas Noches.